0: You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged.
1: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
0: Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radio Lab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and I've got a musical holiday gift for you. That star. That star. Be old. Be old. You're listening to trailblazing singer Marian Anderson. Last year, Sony Classical released a commemorative book about Anderson and her legacy, including 15 compact discs. Yes, that's those little round, shiny things that came between cassettes and MP3s. Anyway, the collection represents the entire catalog of Marian Anderson's RCA Victor recordings. 42 years of music from one of the most consequential artists of the 20th century, who is maybe starting to fade from our collective memory. The collection prompted us to reflect on Anderson's life story when it came out, and this holiday season, it feels like a nice moment to revisit that segment. So, let's learn something about Marian Anderson and her music. I called up one of the great voices of American radio, Terrence McKnight, the evening host of WQXR here in New York City, who is working on a book about Black artists and the classical stage. And he had a lot to say about Miss Anderson. Terrence, thanks for joining
1: us. Of course. Thank you for having me.
0: So, if people... No one big factoid about Marian Anderson, it's that she held this famous controversial concert at the Lincoln Memorial in 1939. So, remind us of that story. What happened and why was it important historically? In
1: 1939, Marian Anderson sang on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. 75,000 people came out to hear her saying, It was a radio broadcast. She started by singing, my country tis of thee. Because for someone who at this point in her career was in her 40s,
0: Hmm.
1: someone who had sung with the New York Philharmonic, someone who had given a debut at Town Hall, someone who had toured throughout Europe and was considered the busiest singer in America, Asia and Europe in the 1930s. And she sang at Lincoln Memorial on 39 because she had been refused a concert in Washington, D.C. Howard University was trying to bring her. And the Daughters of the American Revolution denied her Constitution Hall. As a result, the president's wife got involved. Eleanor Roosevelt got involved. She was a member of the Daughters of the Uh. American Revolution. So she resigned as a result of them discriminating against this black singer who had conquered three continents. (laughs) You know, she sang to thousands in Lewiston Stadium in New York in 1925. So almost 15 years later, she's being discriminated against just because of her skin tone. And that was a big deal. One of the Listeners that day to that 1939 concert was a 10-year-old Martin King Jr. Mm. And he entered an essay contest at school. And he talked about Marian Anderson. And, you know, he said, she sang as never before with tears in her eyes. When the words of America rang out over the, that great gathering, there was a hush on the sea of uplifted faces, black and white, and a new baptism of liberty equality and fraternity. Mm. King went on to say, but Miss Anderson may not as yet spend the night in any good hotel in America. So she inspired a young Martin King and she inspired a generation and generations of singers. Ma'am, I think about seeing Sade a few years ago. Yeah. It was more than a few. And um, <laughs> I just remember she barely moved yet she commanded the attention of the audience. Just pure elegance. And when you look at Marian Anderson, that's what you get on stage and off stage. Just pure dignity, elegance. And when she opens her mouth to sing, it's all there, man. And I think that's why she was able to just capture the attention of so many people for so many decades.
0: And she left the United States fairly early in her career, right? I mean, she'd, she'd gone to Europe in the 20s, I gather in part because she had to, because she had to escape segregation here in order to be a performer. What,
1: well, she got an opportunity. You know, she, after high school, she wanted to go to um, music school in Philadelphia, but was denied. They said they didn't accept coloreds. And she got the scholarship from NAM, National Association of Negro Musicians who provided her with funding, as did her church, Union Baptist Church in Philadelphia, to study privately. So she got a private teacher, and her talent was just phenomenal. And word got out. And then she went off to Europe, man. She was singing so much. I think there was a six-month period where she sang 120 concerts.
0: Wow. And was that what, typical back then? I mean, was that, was that the kind of work that people did, or was she just like an over-the-top worker?
1: I think she just loved to sing. And there was the opportunity now. And and the other thing to remember is that when she was born in 1897, and through the first few decades of her career, the most potent type of American entertainment was minstrelsy. So that's what she was up against. She was the antithesis to how minstrelsy portrayed black folks. Mm. And so I'd imagine there was a shock as she stood up there and she was able to sing in French and in German and Italian and in English for that matter. Marian Anderson was able to accomplish all of this in the 20s and 30s. And then, you know, certainly we can move up to the 50s because up to this point, there weren't Black singers singing at the Metropolitan Opera and so that was still another barrier um, that had to be torn down, and, and she did it. In
0: 1955, she becomes the first Black singer at the
1: Met, correct? That's correct. Interestingly enough, she sang um, The Masked Ball. It's a Verdi opera, in which Verdi had asked for this character. She played the character of Ulrica, which was a witch. And Verdi had asked that this Person B um of color. And so typically that role was sung by someone in blackface. They didn't have to do it that night. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> think I I do I will will say that I believe she was the highest paid singer on stage that night.
0: Okay, you get it, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> t- tell us more about the music itself and her contribution to the sort of American music itself. She started
1: with gospel. Well, um, I'm going to say well, let's call it spirituals because okay. as she was growing up gospel music hadn't really happened. It didn't happen until the 19 late 1920s and 30s. So Marian grew up singing those spirituals that authentic, you know, American music that informed jazz that informed so much of our vernacular music now. That's what she grew up to and that's what she was so famous for singing. You know, you can't think about he's got the whole world in his hands without going back to Marian Anderson. She really made that tune sing. Mm-hmm. has got the big round word. In his hands, he's got the wide word. In his hands, he's got the whole word. Well, you know, man, anytime um, young musicians who grew up in church, that church audience is tough. If you've ever had to say an Easter speech or uh, <laughs> some kind of speech in front of a church congregation, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I grew have. up in a Baptist church. So I know those folks, um, they know real when they see it. And when they hear yes, it, indeed. you know, they they want to get you right. So Marian Anderson grew up sort of going to two churches. Her mom was Methodist, her father was Baptist, but her, her father's um, sister was a singer and she was going to the Baptist church. So uh, her pops would take her to hear her aunt sing. And, you know, by the time she was 10 years old, she joined a, a chorus in Philadelphia. And then I believe she gave her first uh, solo in church at 11 years old. So if you can stand up in front of the, the church folks, you, you, you learn how to do the, the job. And oftentimes it was said about Miss Anderson's performances that they seemed so intimate as if she was singing in a salon or a parlor. Mm. And I think that has something to do with that small church upbringing.
0: And in classical and operatic music, what, what was it about her particular, her music, her musical style, her singing style that was unique or that we need to know to understand her?
1: For one, it was her range. I mean, she was a contralto, so she could sing very deep and uh, with a lot of husk. But she could also sing, you know, very bright and high. so she had just this wide range but also you know just I mean if I could explain it I could do it and I can't you just (laughs) know it when you hear it um I've spent the last couple of days just listening to her just go from handle to spirituals to Bach to music for the holidays I mean and it's it's very special. I mean, there were folks who said she was, had the voice of a generation or the voice that you hear in a century. And it's it's true.
0: Is there a particular song in the classical and operatic tradition that you think, dear listener, if you're gonna go out and be introduced to Marian Anderson in and her range today, go download this.
1: If you've ever felt that someone didn't like you, listen to her saying, he was despised. comes from Handel's Messiah, and she'll make you feel a little better. She'll make you feel okay about folks not really caring for you in that moment. She really captures what Handel was trying to get across in that music. I mean, you get the sense that it's personal, and that's the thing about her. I mean, no matter what she was singing, she made it seem so personal, like she had lived that experience.
0: Mm. Do you remember discovering her um, or, or when she first sort of touched you?
1: It's hard to remember. You know, but one thing that I found touching is something I learned about her recently. And, you know, she started her, well, you know, that big concert you were talking about, 1939.
0: Carnegie Hall has welcomed a dizzying array of performers. To have Andy Kaufman, Frank Zappa, and Birkett Nielsen and Horowitz on the same stage, it becomes this kaleidoscope of our history. I'm Jessica Vosk. Join me for the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk. It's all about our unique cultural history, as witnessed by one of New York's most beloved institutions, Carnegie Hall. Listen now wherever you get podcasts.
1: That was Easter Sunday. Well, she gave her last recital as a singer, Easter Sunday, 1965. But she didn't leave the stage. She continued to narrate. She did Lincoln Portrait by Aaron Copeland, And she continued to advocate for justice and integration and equality. Her nephew, James DePriest, uh, became an important conductor in Oregon, in Portland, but he was also heavily involved in New York. He was an assistant conductor with the New York Philharmonic, and then he was a conductor with the Symphony of the New World, the first integrated professional orchestra in the country. That was in the 60s. Well, Marion would go on stage with that orchestra and, you know, just show up. And she would you know, try to raise money for that orchestra, raising money for the cause of integration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the musicians, he was telling me the other day, he said, I remember James DePriest conducting Symphony of the New World. And after the concert, he said, okay, we're gonna go to my auntie's house. He said, so he didn't think much about it. And um, they got on a train, went uptown, came to this apartment. And he said there was a woman walking around serving tea with an apron on. And when he turned around, it was Marian Anderson. <laughs> and um, he said, but she was just so elegant, and she served us tea. And so this thing about her humility—it just wasn't on stage, you know. It was something that she carried with her, seemingly um, in her personal life.
0: I have to say, before I let you go, you're working on a book um, about not only Marian Anderson, but about Black folks and classical music in general. You want to give us a tease
1: and when it's coming? Um, I'm off to a good start. Um, finishing <laughs> is, is something I'll have to uh, ask you about on the sidelines. Uh, but yeah, I think you know, the relationship that Black artists have to classical music is an untold story. So it's, it's not a historical look at Blacks and classical music. It's more taking interviews of folks that I've come across over the years, many of whom are in their 90s and 80s who were there at that point of integration, who were mm-hmm. there also um, when you had Negro orchestras. So hopefully I'll ex- expose some things that folks hadn't thought about. And my purpose, man, is to find a way forward that's more... Um, inclusive so when we go to the concert hall we see all of our culture up there together and not this hierarchy of culture and certainly not just black composers or black artists in February or March but um, something that's more reflective of you know what America can be
0: Thank you so much for this time, Terrence.
1: Kai, thanks so much for having me talk about what I love talking about. All right. Trying to make my
0: home. Terrence McKnight hosts the evening show on WQXR here in New York City. That's our sister station. You can catch his show every weeknight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. You can follow us wherever you get your podcasts and join us on Instagram at Notes with Kai. And listen, if you didn't catch the show last week, we did this awesome thing where we invited listeners to call in and live curate a Notes from America holiday playlist. So if you're looking for music to get you through the next few weeks, do check it out. You can go to our website and click on any of the recent episodes to find a link to the playlist or you can just search for it on spotify and one more piece of exciting news next month for the martin luther king day holiday we are going to record our show live from the stage of the famous apollo theater here in harlem this is part of an annual event produced by wnyc and the apollo to honor mlk day and for the first hour of it I'll be hosting conversations inspired by the song Young, Gifted, and Black. The event is Sunday, January 15th. Tickets are free. You just have to RSVP to get them. Uh, they'll be available starting in the new year on January 2nd. You can get all the details at wnyc.org slash MLK2023. Jared Paul does the music and mixing for our show. Editing, producing, and reporting courtesy of Karen Froman, Vanessa Handy, Regina Dehir, at Nasa, Kusha Navadar, and Lindsay Foster-Thomas. I am Kai Wright. Thanks for spending time with us tonight, and happy holidays.